morning. And what a great way to start a week of revival services. Amen. And I hope you're excited. The Lord woke me up. Y'all know I don't do mornings. But I did this morning. God woke me up before alarm clocks or anything else went off. And just praying and believing God has a great word. All of God's words are great. God's got a word for us this week. And I believe it's going to start this morning right off the bat. And the greatest thing we can do is begin by praying. Seeking God's face. I hope we've not waited until now. But we need to really pour it over and ask God's presence to overwhelm us. Move us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I just love you and I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy. Your grace is greater than all our needs. Father, we cast it all on you today, knowing you care for us. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us. Lord, may we hear you, see you, and experience you for who you are. God, may we just slow down right now. Get still. Not just in our body, but in our spirit. Know that you're God. Lord, we need revival. And I can say we need revival in the world. We need revival in America. But Lord, we know we need revival here. But Lord, I need revival. Let it start with me. Lord, I pray that no one leaves this place. I do business with you. Get right where you have them to be. Lord, I pray you bless the music and the message, everything that we do. May it bring honor and glory to you. And we make much of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're glad to see you this morning. If you're visiting with us at Eastside, we want you to make yourself at home. I know that our ushers have greeted you with a gift and a uh, uh, little card. If you've never filled one of those out, will you please fill that out and drop it in the offering plate as it comes by? We'd love to correspond with you and let you know how much we appreciate you, uh, but also let you know the great opportunities to serve the Lord and to worship here at Eastside. I'm very excited uh, for today, uh, for all week. Honestly, Wednesday night, FCA chaplain for Georgia Tech, Brother Derek Moore, will be preaching for us the Wednesday night of our revival this Wednesday night. And then he's staying over doing the prayer uh, breakfast at the uh, chamber at the Wildlife Club Thursday morning. We look forward to that. Monday and Tuesday night, Randy Mullinax, state missionary in the Office of Evangelism, one of our Georgia Baptist missionaries going all over the state encouraging and teaching evangelism leading and leading others to Christ he'll be with us Monday and Tuesday but what a great joy it is to have a dear friend we've not known each other all that long but it's I think we were separated at birth somewhere except he's a good bit younger than me it's wonderful to have my dear friend Pastor Brad Waters First Baptist Church Hazelhurst Georgia with us this morning, his father-in-law, Bill Prince. Brother Brad has uh, been a faithful man of God, served 
all over the state of Georgia, served as a Georgia Baptist uh, representative in our state, work, uh, has led the charge to present the gospel in so many ways, and uh, doing a tremendous job as pastor at Hazelhurst. And, man, they're having people saved and lives changed, church growing, God doing a great work. And sometimes, I don't know how he does it, but he finds time uh, to, for his wonderful, beautiful wife and five children. Five. From 17 to three. Uh, and you'd say, well, he's not as smart as he looks. <laughs> Until you see those precious children. You know he did well. So Brother Brad will be preaching this morning and tonight. And after you hear him preach this morning, you'll want to just stay and camp out and make sure you've got a good seat for tonight. We'll start tonight at 6 o'clock. So don't forget that. That's the only thing I want to announce this week. We need to be here. We need to be where God wants us to be. And God will speak to our heart. I know. Listen, I know there's a lot of things going on. Believe me, I know. But God had us do this for a reason. God's got a word for us this week. May we just point our attention to Him. He'll do the rest. So may we pray. May we worship. May we turn our attention completely hold on Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Alright. You want to stand and greet those around you real quick? Tell them you're glad to see them, glad to worship with them today.
and behold a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone. And that really made me just kidding. Um, sardius stone in appearance. And there was a, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And the throne, and around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded, uh, proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, uh, which were the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a cat. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature uh, was like a flying eagle. Y'all got all that? Here we go. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest, day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And I can't tell you what the eyes mean, I can't tell you what the animals mean, I can't tell you any of that stuff, but I can tell you it's a picture of worship. It's a picture that's going on right now, constantly. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And if I'm not wrong, that, that's what we, we're here to do today, is worship. Whether it's through breaking open God's Word, whether it's through singing, whether it's giving our tithes and offerings, whether it's just meditating, whatever it is, our goal is to worship. The one who is holy, 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 who was and is and is to come. So as we sing these next couple of songs, just realize uh, this holy God put his son on the cross. He died to take our sins and be sin so that we could come into this holy God's presence and worship him. So let's do that uh, now.
Jesus did for us what no one else would do. And that is forgive us at that place called Calvary. I'm glad to be with you this morning. It is a joy and it's a blessing and it's an honor always to be with Matt Brady. And I would say first and foremost, uh, thank you for that kind invitation. I don't know that I'm worthy of that. And I'll tell you as I tell people as I go across this state, uh, I'm just a beggar that tells the other beggars where the bread is. That's all I am. I'm nothing more than that. And I stand before you today in need of a touch just as you do. And I'm thankful for this opportunity. And I love your pastor. You have a wonderful pastor, a man who is committed to you and committed to the Word of God. In, the, in a generation and age when men are seemingly backing away from a stand that will certainly be required if the church is to go forward, you are in good hands with a man of God who believes the Word of God and the power of God. And I'm thankful to call you my friend this morning. It is a joy and an honor to be with you in your great church. Take your Bible this morning and be finding Mark's Gospel in the 15th chapter. The 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. While you're finding your place in God's Word, and always when I go away, I'm reminded of a story that's told many times, and I've told it many times, but just a few miles up the road, if you make the journey toward Macon, Georgia, you'll come to a town called Warner Robins. And there, as you've noted and you would note, probably one of the largest military bases is found. That's really what that city is founded around. And it was at one time the home of the South Wing, the, uh, the B-52s, and you know uh, they have enough power there to dominate the world if necessary. And the story was told of some generals from the Pentagon who were down there and were visiting the base. As they were visiting the base, uh, he came through a little storehouse there, and there was a sergeant, a staff sergeant. He looked around and he said, you know, I think there's a good job for this young man. The staff sergeant kind of looked at him, kind of rolled his eyes without him seeing it. And he said, I want you to do an inventory of this base. He said, at least you're part of the base. He said, I'm going to go back to Washington. And he said, I'll come back at a time of my choosing. But I want you to take care of this uh, in these next few weeks, and we'll check in on you periodically. That young man, maybe like any young men of their uh, age and of that position, took that assignment reluctantly and sort of, sort of just went about it. And the general, he went back to the Pentagon. A few weeks would pass. He said, I think I'll just call down there and unannounce. I don't want to tell him who I am. He said, I think I'll just find out how this inventory is going that I've asked him to do. He, so he called down and didn't make himself known. He said, how's it going, young man? So it's fine. Everything's good. Kind of a normal day. Business as usual. He said, anything going on there especially? He said, no, not really. He said, nothing going on there that could be maybe out of the ordinary. He said, well, you know, there is one thing going on. He said, what is it? He said, there's an inventory that we've sort of been working at. And he said, wow, that's interesting. He said, tell me about it. He said, you really want to know? He said, I really want to know. He said, uh, you really want to know? He said, I really want to know. He said, what you find in there? He said, well, we're finding all kinds of stuff. We're finding things we didn't know we had. Finding some things we have more of than we thought we had. Finding some things that we're sort of in deficiency on. He said, well, all right, tell me what that is. He said, well, first of all, we found some office supplies, you know, staplers and things like that. He goes, is that all? He said, you really want to know this? He said, I really want to know. He said, well, we found some Jeeps, a couple of tanks, and some bombs we didn't know we had. He said, really? He said, you really want to know this? He said, I really want to know. He said, well, son, that sounds like a pretty interesting assignment. Is there anything else you found? He said, well, no, sir. He said, nothing else. He said, well, there is this one thing. He said, what's that? He said, we have this one hanger here. He said, really? <laughs> what's in there? He said, you really want to know? He said, I really want to know. He said, there's these 
five black cadillacs. He said, really? He said, well, what are those for? He said, well, you really want to know? He said, I really want to know. He said, well, those are for hauling the big mouth fat generals around when they come to our base. <laughs> As you can imagine, there was an impregnated Paul on the other end of the line. And he said, uh, son, do you know to whom you speak? And he said, no, sir, I have no idea. He said, I'm that big mouth fat general that gave you the order to do that inventory. Well, as you can imagine, there was an impregnated pause on the other end of the line. And the young man, quick on his feet, said, well, general, do you know to whom you speak? And he said, I have no idea. And he said, well, goodbye, fat, so he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> I have told that a thousand times, and it's funny to me every time I tell it. So I tell it to you. You ought to always know to whom you speak, and that is uh, to Eastside Baptist Church. You ought to know for whom you speak, and that is for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse number 16. I want to preach on this subject this morning. Calvary, the finished work for lost man. Calvary, the finished work for lost man. If you're able to ask me to stand for the reading of the infallible, inerrant, inspired, invincible, most perfect and powerful word of the living God. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse number 16. The Bible says, The soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited the crown of thorns and put it on his head. And he began to salute him, Hail! king of the Jews, and they smote him on the head with a reed and spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Notice verse 22. The Bible says, and they bring him unto the place Galgotha which is called, being interpreted, the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. The Bible says in verse 24, when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of the accusations written over said this, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two thieves, one with his right hand, and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled with saying, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they passed by and railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves, but the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And the Bible says, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. Notice verse number 33. The Bible says that when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou 
forsaken me. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, behold, he called Elijah. One man had filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Notice verse number 37. The Bible says, And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus, Lord, for what we cannot buy, beg or borrow. Lord, we ask for that touch, that mighty touch of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I pray this morning as we take a journey back to Calvary, Lord, I pray that we'll see it in a brand new way. Lord, I know today that there are people here who are hurting in heart. Lord, there are some, doubtless in a crowd this size, that know you not as Savior. Lord, I pray at the end of this moment in time together that they will see you in a new way. They'll see the sacrifice made. They'll see the love that was shown. But more than that, they'll see the salvation that has been provided in the place called Calvary. So be with us now. And Lord, I pray you speak through your word. Lord, let me decrease now that you certainly may increase. Help your unworthy servant this morning as I seek to just tell the old story. The story of Jesus Christ. Be with us now. And it's in the wonderful, matchless, and precious name, which is above every name. The name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The finished work of Calvary is the greatest work and word to fall upon the ear of lost and sinful man. You understand as you look at the Word of God this morning, especially in the Gospel of Mark, as you trace through the New Testament, as you look through Matthew, you look through Mark, and you look through Luke, and you search out the book of John, you will find that many great statements are recorded of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many great sayings, and of course, many of the great works and the doings that He did among people while He was here upon this earth. And the many great phrases and the many great statements concerning the lovely Lord Jesus Jesus, there are none so great as that scripture found in John 19 where three words were uttered that tells the story of Jesus Christ, His plan and purpose for coming to man and being the Savior of the world. When He cried out as the Gospel writer said, It is finished. That stated for all of eternity, beginning of eternity and eternity until time shall be no more. That tells the story of a Savior come to man and giving His life's blood for you and for me that we can say today, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Those words, it is finished, tell the story of Jesus Christ. There are none so great found in holy writ. These words stand for the great emancipation of the sinner, but also these words stand for the great condemnation for that sinner who is rejecting. It is joy to the sinner come home receiving. It is judgment to the sinner condemned, rejecting. You understand as you look at Calvary this morning, you see the want of man. You obviously see the weight of sin. But the greatest thing I've come to tell you today is this. You see the way of salvation. Peter said in his sermon, there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved except the name of Jesus. So as we see Calvary today, we see 
the singular way of God as we live in a culture today that is giving information, especially to our students. We understand they are telling them there are many ways. You just choose the way you want. I've come this morning to nail that coffin shut and tell you Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Calvary today is the singular way of God for the salvation of all mankind. So as we look at these words this morning, we understand they bring great meaning. As we look to Calvary, we understand in those six hours that Jesus Christ hung on the cross, we understand Jesus, the light of the world, He yet hung in darkness. Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, He would be suffering and slain as the Lamb before the foundation of the world. Jesus, the Rock of Ages, hurled in the depths of sin for all of mankind. Friend, Calvary tells the story of the love of God to lost mankind. As the noonday sun would turn dark as the midnight hour, it was the world stopping for a moment and saying the Savior of the world has given up life today that all mankind could go away in salvation. It brings Calvary through words of new meaning to the words of John 1.14 where the Bible says the Word became flesh and that flesh dwelt among us. It brings new meaning to John 3.16 where the Bible says for God so loved the world. It brings new meaning to John 14.6 where Jesus said I am the way, the truth and the life. It brings new meaning to John 15.13 where the Bible says greater love hath no man than he that would lay his life down for his friend. And friend it brings new meaning when the Bible says that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for you and for me. The cradle to the old rugged cross tells every step of the plan of God for lost and dying world. You understand today that Calvary was not plan B. You understand today that Calvary was not the great emergency handle. Oh no, Calvary was designed in past eternity. Calvary was declared on the pages of Scripture. And Calvary today was displayed at a place called Galgotha for your sin and mine. The Bible tells us today no greater love hath any man that he would lay his life down, especially in the death of an old rugged cross. You know, the Bible tells us the plan of this book in one verse. In Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, the scripture says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You understand today, you've had people ask you, I've had people ask me, so I don't understand the Bible. Well, there's not a two-syllable word in that whole sentence, and it tells the story of Jesus Christ. As we look today at Calvary, we understand it is the finished work for mankind. You realize today, as we look into this scripture and as we journey outside that gate to that lonely hill called Calvary, we see the great purpose. We see the great price. We see the great payment. More than that, you see the great person. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, in verse number 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So we see today the great ministry and the great message of Calvary's cross. You realize today at Calvary the greatest battle the world and eternity has ever known was fought. As Jesus would hang between heaven and earth, he was hanging in the balance for you and for me. All the demons of hell would rise up to 
would go against the great plan of God. If you don't believe that, you go back in the Word of God and start in Egypt and you see where Satan and his opinions did everything they could to thwart and stop the place called Calvary. But oh, friend, listen, that was not God's plan. God's plan was that Jesus would be the Savior of the world. As we look at this today, we understand it is where the sinner says, how can it be? It is what the Word of God says of the angels, how can it be? It is where the redeemed look to Calvary and say, how can it be? You say, well, preacher, you sure think a lot of that. I sure do. Because everything that we are and will ever hope to be rises, falls, and rests at a place called Calvary. You understand today, as you look at that, Calvary is the place where all pretense is swept away. Amen. Calvary is the place where man comes face to face with who he is. But more than that, he comes face to face with who he is. He comes face to face with what we are guilty of. But we come face to face with what he has done through his great love. So it is a place where all pretense is swept away. But greater than that, it is a place where salvation is provided for all men. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus died for everybody or Jesus didn't die for anybody. Jesus Christ is and shall forevermore be the Savior of the world. As we look at this scripture this morning, I believe there's several things. And I trust today, as you look at Calvary, that long, listen, a long-lasting look at Calvary will cause you to walk away and be different, never more to be the same again. Here's why. Because in Calvary, Everything is stripped away. And we see exactly, we see exactly what was done. I want us to see for a few moments this morning several things about this passage. I want you to know, first of all, the Bible tells us that the pain and the suffering were finished. You asked the question this morning. When Jesus said, it is finished, what was finished? Well, the pain and the suffering were finished. Notice what the scripture says in verse Number 15, it says, And Pilate, so willing to consent the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus, and we had scourged him to be crucified. You understand this morning, Jesus was a man of sorrow. Amen? Jesus, the Bible says, was a man of grief and sorrow. He walked all the days of his life with death in mind. Jesus suffered emotional pain. He also suffered physical pain. As you see him now, leaving out of the court of Pilate, I'm telling you, my friend, you don't see a man who just had a few bruises on him or a man who just had a few stripes on him. I kind of believe what Max Hatter used to say about that is we've all seen the movies. He said uh, Hollywood's got as much business handling a Jesus movie as a bank robber does a bank deposit. My friend, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of of angry men. He went in pain and suffering for you and for me. Now I want you to know first of all, he suffered as they scourged his beaten body. Notice again what verse number 15 says. The Bible says, and uh, Pilate was willing to release him. But you know Pilate, he was willing to please the people instead. He released Barabbas unto them. Notice the last line of verse number 15. The Bible says they delivered Jesus and when they had done what? When they had scourged him. Now you understand what that means this morning. A scourging is not just a whipping you would experience with a belt or something along those lines. The Roman executioners and the Romans knew how to deal punishment out better than anyone in the history of the world has ever known. They took Jesus Christ and stripped his robe off of his body. 
They would stretch him across a singular pole. If you've ever read anything about this, they bring the body up to the skin is almost as tight as the top of that drum right there. And they would take the individual that they were going to scourge and they would take an instrument called the cat of nine tails. It had nine leather thongs on it and on the end of each one of those was a piece of glass, a piece of metal, a piece of something that would dig in to the flesh of the person that they were being. Now you have this in your mind this morning. I want you to have this in your mind this morning if you have nothing else. Because I want you to realize, if you think and get nothing from what we're doing in this place today, you walk out of these doors and understand there was a great price paid that I could go away free of my sin. And as they stretched him across that pole, they took that cat of nine tails and they would whip that person across the back. They would literally whip in a way that would grab on one side and dig in and pull across to the other side. And they would do it so many times. And they knew exactly how to do it in a way that they could tear the skin away from the body. They could expose the nerve endings where you're in constant pain from the beating that you're receiving. But they could go just far enough to leave the inner lining of your body intact that your guts didn't fall out on the ground. They knew exactly how to beat a man just to the inch of his life. I contend this morning that if any other person whom this was done to, it would have killed them dead before they ever got to the cross. But you understand, it wasn't the purpose that he would die in scourging. It was the purpose that he would die on the cross. He took a beating for you and for me. You recognize this is the most gruesome form of torture that can be dealt out to a human being. I think about it as I close my eyes sometimes and think about my Savior who was hanging across that pole. And all the while, you were on his mind. 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 This entire congregation inside and out was on the mind of Jesus as he took the beating of the hands of angry men. I'm telling you this morning, a great price has been paid that you and I can go away free of our sin. He suffered as they scourged his beaten body. And I want you to note also, he suffered as they set a crown of horns upon his head. The Bible tells us in verse number 17, look with me if you will. It says that they clothed him with purple. And the Bible tells us they planted a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And you realize today, you ladies have received roses from your husband. I hope you have. If you haven't, I hope you get something tomorrow because of this sermon. If you get nothing else, I hope you get a dozen roses. Amen. <coughs> Amen. Y'all wait. Alright. They took that thorn, the thorn in the Middle East at that time was some two and a half to three inches long. And as they would clap that vine together, they would set it down on the head of the already scourged and beaten Savior. And as they would clap it down upon his head, you understand, they would beat that thing down into his scalp till literally it would drive down into the brain of the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand today, he was scourged. He was platted with a crown of thorns. You say, what does that remind you of, preacher? Oh, it reminds me of one day when Abraham took a journey up Moriah's Mount with his son named Isaac. And as he took Isaac up Mount Moriah and he told those men, don't worry, we're going to worship and in three days we'll return back unto you. And as he went up atop that mount, he laid Isaac down on the altar. The 
Son who represents Jesus Christ as He was born of His Father's old age. As He was one who was a promised seed to be the leader of the nations. That too being Jesus Christ. And as Isaac would lay there and He was just to live that night. And He would ask the question, where is the, where's the ram? Or where is the lamb? And, Isaac, and Abraham said, God will provide Himself the lamb. And as He would raise that night, it was as if a hand from heaven would stop Him. And as it was just to go down, He noticed over in the thicket what was caught there? A ram. And that ram represents your sin and mine. And that ram was caught in that thicket. Friend, when I see that, I see the crown of thorns that was laid upon my Savior's head before He ever came into this world. The plan of salvation was given to you and to me. He suffered as they set the crown of thorns upon His head. He also suffered as they saluted Him in blasphemous mockery. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says they begin to salute Him. Look what they said. Hail, King of the Jews. You understand, as they scourged Him, as they crowned Him, now they begin to mock Him. My Savior and yours standing alone, being mocked. Friend, He's still being mocked today. That's nothing new. It's nothing to sin. He's being mocked not only in the world, he's being mocked in the church. He's being mocked everywhere. He's mocked. Say, the Bible tells us as he stood, they saluted him and they beat him and they mocked him. You know what the story says? They blindfolded him and they would hit him on the face and say, if you're God, if you're Jesus, tell us who did that to that is the mockery and blasphemy at its very best. Don't you know that also he suffered as they struck him on the head? Look at verse 19. The Bible says they smote him on the head with a reed. And look what the scripture tells us about that. That reed representing the royal scepter. And as they would take that reed and literally beat that crown of thorns down upon his precious head. I'm telling you today with every drop of blood he fought and it worked for you and for me. They, he, they struck him on his head. Don't you know that also he suffered? I believe this is the worst one. You think about the scourging and the crowning. You think about how they beat him over the head and hit him. But I don't want you to see the last one. I believe it's the worst one. And I believe there's not a man, a woman in this room today who disagree with this. They spit on They spit on Anybody in here who spit on Innocent. Look at verse 19. The Bible tells us, it says they smote him with a reed and spit upon him, bowing their knees to worship him. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 15, verse number 6, I gave my back and smiled, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and I hid not my face from the shame and the spit. You understand when they grabbed Jesus' beard, they pulled it literally from his face. Do you see the picture of that? Here's a man who the Bible says in Isaiah 52 and verse 14, his visage was marred by the vision of a man. That means this, he was beaten beyond recognition. That's what that means. That means there's no recognizable trait when they were done beaten. So as you see a man now, scourged, crowned, beaten, now spit upon him. Listen, you think about those words, it is finished. It is finished. The pain. And to suffer. Here is a Savior who came to save. Now listen to this. And to suffer at the hands of sinful men. You know, I'm inclined to believe what old Charles Weidel wrote. He said, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. For I found in him a friend. I would tell you 
how to change my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. And no one ever cared for you like Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It is finished. The pain is suffering. Don't you see number two? Not only is the pain and the suffering finished, but the prophecy of the Scripture is finished. And you see what the Word of God tells us now in verse number 28. Look what the Bible tells us. In the Scripture, look what it says. Was fulfilled. You need to underline that in your copy of God's Word. The Scripture was fulfilled. Just as it was stated, it came to pass just as God had ordained it to do. I'm telling you this morning as you hold God's Word, when you open it up at its very beginning, you close it in the very last word, the very last line, the chapter, the 22nd chapter of Revelation, you will understand it is about the plan for mankind, and that plan is a Redeemer, and His name is Jesus. You recognize this book is a book of blood. This book tells a story, and that story is the story of redemption. Back in December, I was pretty sick with pneumonia. You know how that goes when you get sick? You think you're going to die, at least I did. Or at least I was hoping everyone would think I was going to die. That was what I was wishing for. And I got there as I was sitting in my house. And I said, you know what? There's going to be a day when I will die. I don't know if that day is going to be a day. I felt like it. I don't think that's going to happen. I said, there's going to be a day when I'm going to die. You know what? I have five children. I have 17, 15, 13, 5, and I have three. You recognize that in that, the 17-year-old of junior in high school, the three-year-old, his name is John Wesley. Everybody needs a John Wesley in their house. He's a wild man. But I said, one day, they're going to pick this book up. I'll be dead and gone. My, listen, my stammering tongue will lie silent in the grave. And when I do, they're going to go back and they're going to look. And they're going to say, well, I just wonder, what kind of man was my father? Well, I said, I think I'll just settle it for him right here. So I just opened up the very first page. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And above that, I wrote these words. This is a book of blood. This is a book of blood. It begins and it ends with Jesus. It tells of a Savior. I just put this. Let me be found pointing men to the Savior. I'm telling you, my friends, today at Eastside Baptist Church, a preacher's not worth his salt that won't stand and point men to the old rugged cross and Jesus Christ. You say, why do you tell us that? Because the pages of the Word of God tell us of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified at Calvary, the prophecy of the Scripture was finished. Before He cried, it is finished. Every Scripture concerning His first coming had to be fulfilled. Every jot and tittle was taken note of, and it was fulfilled. John chapter 19, in verse number 28, says Jesus, knowing that all things were to be fulfilled. You understand every arrow of the Old Testament of the prophecy hit the bullseye at a place called Calvary. Every prophecy concerning His birth, His life, and surely His death were fulfilled at a place called Calvary. I'm reminded of what old Tom Malone said years ago when he said this. He said, Calvary is like a never-ending stream. The river of atonement runs from one end of the Bible to the other with the increasing width and depth. Every page of sacred writing seems to be stained with the royal scarlet of Jesus' blood. But just as the Bible breathes with inspiration and pulsates with divine life, it bleeds with atoning blood. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and His work of redemption is without any shadow of a doubt the central theme of the Word of the living God. I'm telling you today, Calvary is the plan. Calvary 
glory is the place. Luke chapter 18 said all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man. Luke 24 verse 44 the Bible says all things written in the law and in the prophets and in the psalm. Everything was fulfilled. Not one step not taken. Not one standard not kept. Not one statement unfulfilled. The place of his birth. Listen. The purity of his life and the performance of his work. Everything was carried out at a place called Calvary. When you see the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15 where the Bible says that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. You understand that is the line and the flow of the blood beginning right there. It moves down through Abel's lamb. It moves down through Abraham's sacrifice. It moves down through every sacrifice that high priest would take into the Holy of Holies for the sins of the people. Only mind you to cover them for one year and then the process would have to be repeated again. Oh, but bless God today when Jesus went to Calvary. My friend, He went, the Bible says, once for all for you and for me. The work of redemption is done. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That's the good news today to a lost and dying world. And my friend, that's the only good news. We've got a generation that is here and do this and do that. Bless God, I've come here today to tell you it is already done in the work of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that prophecy of Scripture is fulfilled. You say, what happened around that old rugged cross that day? I want you to know what happened under the cross. But look what the Bible says in verse number 24. Look what the Scripture says. And when they had crucified Him, they parted His garments, casting lots upon them what every man should take. Do you understand? That's a direct fulfillment of something. You, you understand that that is a direct fulfillment of the 22nd Psalm. Of the Messianic prophecy of Psalm 22. Where you see Jesus Christ being stretched out in the Old Testament upon the old rugged cross. I don't care really what the liberals think. And I really don't care what the atheists think. I'm telling you when I open up God's Word, I see the beautiful picture of the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ marked through every line, every word, every sentence. Amen. Bible says they stretched him out. Verse number, Psalm 22. Scripture tells us in verse number 18, listen to what the Bible says. It says, And they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's a prophecy that is fulfilled. So we see those under the cross. Then I want you to see those, listen to me, around the cross. And can I say something? I'll go ahead and give you the third one. There's the ones on the cross. Can I say something to you? Call plain to you. Everybody in this room represents one of those three classes of people. Make no mistake about it. You're somewhere in that beautiful panorama of prophetic picture. You're somewhere in there. You're either here this morning and just take it or leave. There were some there that day that just said, I just want to see what's going on. There's plenty of people who walk through the double doors of church and we'll see what's going on. We don't have any intention to do anything else. We'll see what's going on. There were plenty of people who were just gazers. There were others who were partakers. And then there was that one who was the provision. Do you understand? Everybody around that cross that day can be represented in the world. You recognize not only the other cross, but they were around the cross. See, what did they do? Notice what the scripture tells us in verse number 27 of our text today. The scripture says, 
those under the cross or around the cross can be found in verse 24. Excuse me. They that had crucified and departed his garments. And then look what it says in verse 28. The scripture was fulfilled. He was numbered with the transgressors. Look at verse 29. They that passed by their will. They were wagging their heads and saying, Ah, oh, thou hast destroyed the temple and built it in three days. Remember, that's the saying. Jesus said, You carried that off. Raise it up. He said it took years to build that thing. He said, Don't worry. It's not that temple I'm talking about. The scripture says, They came wagging their heads. Listen to verse 30. Or look at it in chapter 15. Save thyself and come down from the cross. The Bible says in verse 32, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now. From the cross that we may look what they said. Hey, y'all looking at this? Yeah. That we may see and believe. Right. Just show me something. You know, you know what? Show me something. Hey, friend, they've seen all they need to see, and they weren't going to see anything else. Right. They've seen the leper spots be made cleanse whole. They've seen the crippled man rise and walk again. They've seen blind men who were blind from the mother's womb receive their sight only to see as they've never seen before. Listen to me today. Whether you're in this room or in this scene, you need to understand no one has ever come in direct contact with the Lord Jesus Christ and not walked away with a changed life forever. Amen. They looked at Him and said, You do this and we'll believe. You see, that's nothing new. The Bible says in Psalm 22 and verse 16, listen to what the Scripture says, For the dogs have compassion and the assembly of the wicked had enclosed me. The Bible says they pierced my hands and my feet. That's a direct fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures. Amen. So we understand Calvary, not an accident. Calvary, the plan of God. So there were those under the cross. There were those around, around the cross. They don't want you to pay careful attention to those who were upon them. Look what the Bible tells us about that. Notice what the scripture says in verse number 27. Then with him they crucified two thieves. One on his right hand, the other on his left hand. The scripture says, and the scripture was fulfilled. Here's what was fulfilled. What was fulfilled was Isaiah 53, where it says he would make his grave the wicked be numbered among the transgressors. The Bible says that which saith he was numbered with the transgressor. Now you understand something today. When you draw near Calvary, you see that scene. You say, well, preacher, you said those under the cross and you said those around the cross. Well, how in the world do we represent those who are on the cross? I'll tell you exactly. In fact, this is probably the clearest picture that can be given from the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You see, one man said, if you're who you say you are, take us down from the cross. And he began to wag his Tongue at him and mocked him. The Bible says the other thing to which the one I have to do. If you're saved today, be the most like. Because if you're saved, you have to come to the place that thing came to. You see, he said, he's innocent. He said, don't you know what you say? We're guilty. You'll never get saved until you realize you're guilty. You're guilty before God. God's holiness and His character demands a payment. Jesus Christ made the payment for you and me. But that man said, we're, we're guilty. And we're receiving justly for what we've done. But this man has done no wrong. This man is innocent. 
Jesus the innocent died for the guilty. That man represents today every person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing their sin, looking to the Savior, that man on the other side, at the same time recognizes and resembles every lost man, woman, boy or girl in this world and in this room today. You've rejected. You've said, I'll go my own way. And like Barnhouse said years ago, a man can go to heaven God's way or hell his own way. Either way, you're going one of the two places. And my friend, if you're here rejecting Jesus Christ, you resemble the man upon the cross. Amen. The Bible tells us prophecy in the Scripture was fulfilled. Amen. And we see today the pain and the suffering finished. The prophecy in the Scripture finished. Don't see thirdly, the payment for sin Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The payment for sin was finished. You think about this scripture before us. Anybody ever seen that debt clock in New York? You can click on it and look at it right now. You know what it's doing? It's ticking. Just billions and billions and trillions of dollars. Every second, we go further into debt. Every moment, the clock ticks. We go further into debt. My friend, I want to remind you there's a spiritual debt clock that started in the Garden of Eden. And the moment that Adam took the tree of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the command that he was not to do, the debt clock of sin began to run against mankind. Amen. That debt clock is running today. That debt clock is running and it is ticking. Friend, listen, it is saying that all men are guilty because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is saying, wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, therefore death by sin, and death is now passed upon all men for all have sinned. It's telling us today the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's telling us the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. That death clock is ringing throughout all of eternity. But I'm thankful today that I can tell you that God dipped the pen of heaven into the blood of His Son and rode across the horizon of every man, woman, boy, or girl. That debt has been paid in full in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, listen, it is the payment of sin that is finished. There's a whole race, a whole world of sinners in debt having broken the law of God. Mr. Today, if you're without Jesus Christ, you've broken the law of God, there's no way to get to Him. Ma'am, today, if you're without Jesus Christ, you've broken the law of God, and there's no way to get to Him. And I'm thankful today, where that great chasm of sin would lie, a cross was bridged across it, and Jesus became the captain of my salvation. The Bible tells us we're bankrupt and we're, listen, morally and spiritually. We've literally missed the mark of God. You understand that today? Where the Bible says all is sin and falls short. Those two words fall short. Literally, you gentlemen probably bought a bow, honey, you hunt with a bow and arrow. If you had a bow and arrow in your hand and there was a target at that wall down there, friend, listen, are you listening? Are you listening to me saying it? If you don't take anything else, I hope you get this. People classify themselves on good as the next guy. Well, how good does that guy have to be? Well, bless God, I'm as good as my neighbor. You might be better than your neighbor. Without Jesus Christ, you'll die and go to hell. That's all I'm telling you. And the reason is, is because fall short. You, you fall short. Now, I understand when you do this right here. Uh, imagine the big bullseye right here. You following me? Yeah. And you're shooting at that bullseye with an arrow. 
Now, now look here. Here's the bullseye right here. Uh, your arrow might hit way over here. That's what it means to miss the mark of God. Lost. Here is the great misconception of the modern day church right here. Your arrow might hit right here. And only be a centimeter away from the bullseye and you're still lost. You're still lost. To be 99% sure is to be 100% lost. You're lost without Jesus. You see, the Bible tells us there's a debt that must be paid. Right. Have you been to Calvary for the full, free, cleansing price of blood? I do that. that. That's the question of that. You say, why is this so important? Only right here. Number one, because God doesn't write off debt. That's why. God doesn't write off debt. Corporations might write off debt. And banks might write off debt. Individuals to other individuals may very well write off debt. God doesn't write off debt. He demands to take it. So you see today, if there was another way, why didn't he take it? Because, friend, there was no other way. Calvary is the only way. Jesus hung upon that cross. He hung the innocent for the guilty. He hung the one paying the debt for the damage. That's what happened to Calvary. It's important because God doesn't write off that. Look at verse number 33 of Mark 15. Notice what the Bible tells us. It says, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. We understand that the sun was huge and shining. The following year, the miracles of Calvary were made God just reached down. Look, you watching this? And just nudged the earth and covered the sun in his hand. The reason he did that is because he wanted everyone to understand. I may not understand it, and I may not believe it, but something happened to him. The sun was dark. You recognize today, he says, I demand the payment. That's wrapped up in that verse right there. Then why is the sun turning dark? Have to do because here's why. When he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here, here's what he said. He said, I understand now what it means to be a God forsaken soul. Have you forgotten that? Have we, have we, listen, have we as a church forgotten that? Because I'm telling you today, church, one long look at the cross will cure apathy. Yeah. One long look at the cross will cure indifference. Oh, how many have you slain and sent to a devil's head? One long look at the cross will draw a decision out of every man and woman born You see, the Bible tells us when that sun turned dark, God didn't like hell. God laid the sin down the sun. That's right. On him, for you, and for you. That's what happened. So we understand. God does not write all debt. Second thing we understand is God never forgets about it. Y'all realize that? I've had people say, well, I'll run away. There's nowhere the eyes of God are not. There's nowhere he's not. You won't get away. So I'll do whatever you guys. I'll escape. No, no, you won't. Because he never forgets about it. 
You see, here's the deal. We're living in a pleasure-mad society, you understand? We're living, Paul told Timothy, she that lived in pleasure dead while she lived. You understand that? We're going about acting as if God doesn't even exist. That's what's happening. Now, you listen to me. You say, we really believe that? Yeah, because Jesus said, I'm just going to kind of chase a rabbit right here and then come right back to the next sense. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. He said, why does it got to do with this? I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with it. The Bible says they were eating, drinking, marrying, getting in marriage. That just means this. It doesn't mean they were having deals. It doesn't mean they were uh, enjoying fellowship with one another and getting married. It means this to you and me today, church. And this is the culture of 2015. It means they were going about with their life as if God did not exist. That's what it was. And understand this. God doesn't forget about it. You may live 70 years. Or you may live 90 years. You may be blessed to live a hundred years, but I will tell you eternity stands on the other side of the threshold. And as old Joe Henry Hankins used to say, if a man's going to hell when he dies, what difference does it make how long the man lives? God doesn't forget about it. He can just forget about it. Oh, the injustice done in Calvary. Yeah. If he could just forget about it, oh, the terrible scene and the terrible mockery the old rugged cross. Friend, I'm telling you, he doesn't forget. You know what the third thing is worse? So here it is. God doesn't write off dead. He, listen, he doesn't forget about it. Here's the worst part. You listen here, say amen. Amen. You can't pay it. <laughs> There's the other misconception of the modern day church. They just think you go to church, do good, and be here, and get baptized, tithe, do a little good deed, do a little good work, show up and check the box. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is not a ritual. Salvation is a relationship through redemption in Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us we in and of ourselves have no ability to attain our own salvation. It can only come at a place called Calvary. That's the problem. Not money, not good works, not membership, not baptism, not religion. A man's doomed without Jesus. But I have some great news for you today. The Bible says... He became a God to save his soul. Let me give you this last quote right here. Jesse Henley, who I mentioned a moment ago, one of the greatest evangelists Southern Baptists have ever known, the state of Georgia has ever known. He used to have a saying. He was a man who was well learned above any man that I ever knew. He was a man who knew God closer than any man I ever knew. Okay? My dad led revival music, Brother Jess, for probably 30. Brother Jess and my granddaddy built Model T Fords at the Ford Motor Company on Ponce de Leon Avenue in 1929. That's how far the relationship went back in our family. My daddy would go all over. As a child, I tell everybody in the state I was a drug addict. I was drugged to every church in the state of Georgia. I would sit right there on that front row, and I would see Brother Jess sweat down to his suit would be wringing wet with sweat, telling the old story of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He used to have a saying that stuck to me to this day. He said, when a man says, how can God know how I feel? How can God, first of all, when people say, how can God send somebody to hell? Loving God. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Man goes to hell for rejecting the finished work of Calvary. So really this, if a man goes to hell, he has to step around and over Calvary and get there. Dr. Jess used to say this. He said, well, in that fact, or in that case, how can God know how a man feels? Jesus Christ, and I want you to stay with me. I want you to say amen right here. He would say this. Uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Correct? Everybody say amen. amen. So there's never been a beginning. 
of Jesus Christ. He was when time before time would begin. He will be when time shall be no more. He is an eternal being. Well, when Jesus Christ gave up the ghost, He died and understood what it meant to die for eternity. I'm telling you, my friend, Jesus Christ paid the debt for you and for me. The Bible says, Jesus, 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 the Savior of the world. He became a God-forsaken soul. Under the law of the Old Testament, when they would go into that Holy of Holies, you know, it's like a bank deal, you understand? They were just taking interest. Yeah. They never took the payment. They just took interest to them. They're just really paying on the money, if you will. They're paying the interest. But they'd have to come back, do it again. Year after year. How depressing that must have been. To know that my sins stand behind you. It is amazing. They put that blue cord around that high priest's ankle. And he said, you better back in there. Because I wouldn't, and you know, they, they were probably bad. This is what I think. You better back in there, buddy. I wouldn't walk in there if I were you. <laughs> and he back in there, that gold, that blue cord on his foot, and those bells jingling on the bottom of his garment. And what those people would do, are you listening to me? They would sit on the outside, and they would anxiously wonder, will he accept it today? Will he accept it today? He said, what's that cord for, preacher? He dropped in, they just drag him out. That's what it's for. He said, dropped in for what? Entering into the holiness and the presence of the Shekinah glory of God to sin on his blizzard with sin in his life. How much more should we be advised to walk in the house of God right on God before we come to worship? They drag him out and he died, and that's what happens. When he come back out, hear what he said. Let the incense go. Took the blood and sprinkled on the mercy seat. Came back out and said, for another year. For another year. It's seven. You know what I can come here and tell you today? Jesus stepped in. Well, that brings me away to John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. And that Lamb of God died on Calvary's cross and said, Jesus paid it all. Listen, no one else had to come and sacrifice. He has now stepped in. He has left the royalty of heaven, as the Bible says, out from the ivory palaces. He came to live in this world of woe and die a sinner's death for you. And for you to imagine that journey that day when he turned the angel and said, I'll be back. I'm going to accomplish the will of my Father. I'm going now to take care of what has been noted and prophesied and told and foretold for all of these years. I come to be the sacrifice. The Bible says he came to pay the debt. You say, where did that happen? Well, you think about it. Colossians chapter 2. The Bible says this. Blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that were against us, which were contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his you say, what's that mean? It means this. You ever seen a, anybody ever note? You ever had a note? Anybody wrote a note for you and said, look, you owe this amount of money. Here's the note. Anybody ever seen one of those? Well, you understand when people were accused of crime in the Roman Empire, they would take their crimes and they would nail it to the door of the prison they, that they inhabited. So basically they would come by and they would say, well, here's old Bill Brent. He's guilty of this. Guilty of this. Guilty of this. And old Matt Brady. He's guilty of this. He's guilty of his old Brad Marsh. He's guilty of this. He's guilty of this. 
he is guilty of this. When you look at Colossians chapter 2, you see the picture is all sitting in the cell, condemned to die of the sin of our life and of our doing. But you understand today, with the blood of Jesus Christ, he came by that cell door. He took the stamp of heaven. He took that big red pad and said, pay in full. More than that, he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He opened up that door. He swung it wide. And he said, friend, a prisoner condemned in sin is now free to go because you have been forgiven of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus paid it all. All that came out. So we see the payment of sin is finished. You see the prophecy of Scripture is finished. You see the pain and the suffering is finished. Don't see lastly the best part. What you all came for right here. The plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is finished. It is finished. You say, how do I know? Well, look what the Bible says in verse 37. It says, and Jesus cried in a loud voice. All the gospel writers say that. The scripture says, he gave up the ghost. I mean, he died. Hey, everybody follow me here? He didn't swoon. He didn't go to sleep. He died yes. for you and for me. Now notice what verse 38 says. Are you following this? says in the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Now listen to me. That means this. When the earthquake would come, the darkness would fall, the bodies and resurrection would come out of the grave, Matthew 27, 52. All those things took place as the earth was shake. All of a sudden, that high priest, he was in there, that veil that they say, scholars say, was 10 to 12 inches thick, woven in blue wool and just as tight as you can imagine. No way you and I could take that and tear that in two. But in a moment's time, the veil pulled to the top to the bottom. Man spends his time <coughs> trying to get to God from the bottom to the top. But I've got good news for you. He came to me. Yes. When I could not know him, yeah. Jesus. This is what a camp meeting like y'all have been in. Amen. Amen. I was preaching at a dead church one time. It was kind of reserved. Reserved. A little reserved. So I was preaching along and I was enjoying it all. And I just want you to understand I always you know why? Because I may go down that road today and I may get killed going back to take the first. You know what? I'll stand before God and say I told the old story today. That's what yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. So there's a little reserve in there, so I just got down on the front road. And I just sat down. And I said, Amen! And I got up and walked back up there. And I said, Now folks, if I gotta preach the sermon at Amen, we're gonna be here all day. Hey, Amen and pick up. <laughs> plan of salvation was finished because when that veil was rent from top to bottom, here's what it said. There'd never be the need of another bull. There'd never be the need of another ram. There'd never be the need of another lamb. There'd never be the need of another sacrifice of one without blemish in the sheepfold because that one who is the Savior had come and he said there'll never be the need of a sacrifice because I have attained for mankind what and for all. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. So we see salvation singularity in one way. 
Listen, you see salvation scope is universal. You're here today without Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. He's calling you right now. You've never seen an open Bible or a man of God that wasn't the call of God in your life to be saved if you're lost. Salvation scope is universal. Salvation simplicity is this. Anyone can understand it. Salvation sufficiency is this. It's enough. And salvation strength is it can change the vilest sinner. Friend, listen. Come ye sinners. Listen. Lost and hopeless. Jesus' blood was shed for thee. For he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. Friend, listen. Salvation strength is this. That Jesus was saved. That Calvary you see the way of the cross and the suffering. At Calvary you see the work of the cross and substitution. At Calvary you see the wonder of the cross and satisfaction. The best thing I can tell you and I've come to tell you today is that Calvary, you see the way of the cross and salvation. It's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. At the cross. Now look here. You understand Calvary is the tip. High top. Calvary is a sinner's hell in where you. You understand that? Y'all see that? Have you ever seen that picture? Jesus said, I thirst. The rich man begged for one drop of water. The scripture says in that place of hell and weeping national teeth out of darkness. It's a place where darkness fell on the earth. You understand where Jesus hung on the cross and hung separated from God. A man that goes to hell will be separated. You're going to listen to me. Your family members, your children, your neighbors will be separated from God. Jesus separated. You know, the worst thing about a man or woman going to hell is you'll be a sinner forever. You'll be fixed in that condition. You'll never be it. There's never a chance. Never a chance. Across the tip of that hill, there's a lie. On one side, the same. On the other side, the lost. There's a line down this room this morning that spans itself 2,000 years from the tip of Galgal this morning. And it's saying the Eastside Baptist Church, everybody in this room is on one side or the other. You're either on the same side or you're lost. The amazing thing about that line is this, Calvary stand. So you have a choice today. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Jesus saved us. That's the greatest thing. Calvary finished work for lost man. Let every head be bowed and every eye be Just sing it. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there my faith I received my son, and now I am happy all the day. Say it again, at the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there my faith 
told you to put everything out of your mind and your heart today. Don't think about where you're going. Don't think about what you're doing. Because, friend, you may not be here an hour. And I'll promise you this. If the hour should tick, and the hourglass of life should run out, and you fall on the wrong side of that line, eternity will have just begun. It won't be a hundred years, and it won't be a thousand years, and it won't be ten thousand years. It'll be forever. So I'm going to ask you this question, this invitation this morning. What side of that line are you on? Jesus has made every provision needed for you to be saved. So, my friend, if you're lost today, it's because you choose to be lost. But the Spirit of God... He said, open up. Open up. Open up. Let me in. You would say, preacher, you preach right down to my heart today, and I'm lost. Now listen, you may be a church member, you might be a Sunday school teacher, you might be a deacon, you might, it doesn't matter. And listen, because understand this, when you stand before God, none of those aforementioned things are going to matter. The only thing that will matter when you stand in the presence of God is what then have you done with Jesus who is called Christ. So I would ask you today, you would say, I'm lost today. I came in this room with guilt of my past laid upon my back. I came here today with no hope. <laughs> I came here today uncertain that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Well, friend, you've come to the right place. You don't have to be uncertain. You don't have to live in guilt anymore. You don't have to live with sins unforgiven. Because Jesus died that you may be forgiven. Now, there's some things you may need I don't need. There's some things I need you don't need. But I promise you there's one thing we all need is to be forgiven. And the only place you and I can be forgiven is the power. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed. You would say, Preacher, that's me. I'm lost. If I died today, I know where I'd go. I'd be in hell. I know for sure. But I found out today that God loves me. I found out today that Jesus died. I found out today that there's a Savior and I don't have to live this way anymore. What I want you to do with no one looking, just lift your hand and say, that's me. Uh, that's me. Just lift your hand right where you're at. Anybody in this room, just lift your hand and say, that's me, preacher. I'm lost and I need to be saved today. Anyone. Anyone at all. Anyone at all. Second, you're a church member. You're, you're a Christian. But the light's burned out in life. But today you can say, I'm going to come back to Calvary. I want to see it in a different way. I wonder. In a moment when this piano begins to play, I wonder, would you just get out of your seat and make your way and crowd around this altar and say, I want the fire of God in my life. 
you would say thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. I want today to rekindle that fire. For listen, you can't have a revival. You can't have anything happen without a clear view of Calvary. pastor will be here. The instrument will play. What I'm going to invite you to do is come. You said, I need to be saved. Friend, listen, don't miss Jesus today. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. You come and say yes to Jesus today. That's our prayer. Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus, Lord, as you work and move in this invitation. Lord God, do what only you can do. Lord, what we're incapable of doing. And that's touch and move the hearts of man. Lord, I pray you bring tears back to God's people. Yes. We've been dry eyed and dry eyed too long. And I pray you'll bring tears to God's people back. It says, I want my loved ones saved. I want my family saved. Bring us back, Calvary. Jesus, that's about God's love. You've got a loved one. You know that love was lost. Why don't you bring it to the altar today? Say, Lord, use me to reach them for eternity. Let's stand. And as we say, let's just have heads bowed and eyes closed. As the pastor is here, the altar is open. You begin to come. As God is leading you to come, you come.
writer of Hebrews wrote chapter 4. And we therefore now can come boldly to the throne of God that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You all know why we're in such bad shape? We can't keep our families together, church together, America together, the world together because we're not bold. We have no mercy. We have no grace because we won't come to the throne of God. Then we pray. We're too busy for everything else in the world. We don't need the Bible. We need to get to lunch. We need to get here. We need to get there. We don't have time for God. Well, let the world go to hell. But just don't act like you care. If you don't act like you care, then care. No one raised their hand today. Did they, Brother Brad, that said they were lost? There's one of two things. Either there's some that for whatever reason didn't. Number two, what may even be sad, there's nobody in the church good enough to buy anybody lost. Every gospel of Jesus is still the preach power of the gospel. Lost people get saved. Bring somebody to you tonight. birth. Be care. God's will be done. Man, what a powerful message. Brad's father-in-law looked over. He said, man, if I didn't know I was saved, I'm going to get saved again. Calvary is that rich. Jesus is that real. Be happy and joyous in the Lord if you're saved. But care enough for somebody who's not to tell them, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. As we prayed, Benediction on this service. I pray it's just the opening of our revival. I pray God stirs our heart today. I don't care what you got to just slip off somewhere and pray and say, God, break my heart. What breaks yours? He's going to come back tonight. That's his Sunday morning message. Imagine what tonight's going to be. I look forward to it tonight. So we want to pray God's will be done. And as we uh, pray this, Closing prayer, I'm going to ask Brother Brad if he would go back to the door. You let him know.